0: Well, please take your Bibles and turn with me to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians 4, as we continue this series on ministry in the church, your ministry in the church. Colossians chapter 4, we want to read verses 2 through 4. Colossians 2. Excuse me, Colossians 4, verses 2 through 4. And the Apostle Paul writes these words to the church, which is at Colossae Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Have you ever heard or used the phrase, don't just stand there, do something? Of course you have. Don't just stand there, do something. Uh, Are you familiar with the story, with the account of Mary and Martha in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ when one got onto the other for not being involved in the work of service and what did Jesus say she has chosen the better part which will not be taken away from her these examples one a common statement that is made in our culture the other a picture from the scripture uh, helps us to step back and to remind ourselves that it is not just uh, it is not just The kind of standing and pondering or sitting around or hoping that something comes to pass, which often is the popular course uh, in our world. We value execution. We value action. We value activity. We value industry. We value efficiency. We value doing things. And often when it comes to ministry, we simply think of ministry in terms of what we do, our action, our activity, and that we need to get up and we need to go out and we need to do something. And in many cases, that's true. We've been talking about that now for a couple of months. How there are many, many activities that we need to do. And yet, it's also true that one of the activities that we need to do along with the things that are more visible, is the activity of actually speaking to our God. We don't just serve other people directly by being with them and being involved with them or doing things for them. We don't just serve people by speaking to them, preaching the word of God to them. But we also serve people and serve God by taking another action, which is Praying, which is asking God for things, telling God things that are true about Himself, proclaiming things from His Word to God, giving Him praise, and so on. And so, this morning, what I want to do is to consider the vital place of prayer within our ministry. This, I suppose, may be one of the things that we most easily neglect when it comes to ministry. For a number of reasons. Not least of which is that it doesn't necessarily seem to be directly productive. If you prepare a lesson and go teach it. It seems like you've done something. If someone has a need and you meet it and you fix the problem. It seems like you've done something. But if you pray. You don't necessarily see the fruit of that right away. Or in some ways you never see it at all. You might not get the answer that you want. You might not have the effect that you want. And things may go a completely different direction. And as you're speaking, you don't get any particular type of feedback from another individual. And so you say, well, is this really doing any good? And yet I think that we know if we think about what the Bible says, it's very clear that prayer is not only doing good anytime we offer it in the right way, but also that it is vital. And it's a vital component of the ministry of the church. So what I want to do is to consider for a few moments our attitude toward praying as a church and then I want to give you some reasons why as a church we must be as this passage says devoted to prayer and then I'd like to finish by just giving you a few ideas about how you might do that some suggestions to start to put this into practice so we'll start with the attitude then we'll go to the reasons for devotion to prayer and then talk a little bit about what this looks like. So as we continue in the series on what your ministry in the church should look like, we are talking about ministry that is devoted to prayer. And we'll begin by talking about the attitude of devotion to prayer. And it is here in Colossians 4, in particular verse 2, that we are that we find this idea of devotion to prayer. He just says this right at the beginning devote yourselves to prayer. This idea of prayer uh, is kind of a general term. It could be that you're speaking petitions to God. You're making supplications on behalf of others. You are asking God for things. You are even confessing your sins. Prayer is the context in which thanksgiving takes place, in which praise takes place. So here you have just a general idea about what prayer is actually is now Paul is going to get to a request we saw this in verses three and four right if you're looking at this you see he says praying at the same time for us as well and he goes on to describe some evangelistic desires that he has he wants to have an opportunity for the word God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ and he wants to speak it in a certain way verse four that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak Paul says, I'm asking God to give me opportunity, and I'm asking him to give me a manner of speaking that is appropriate. When we think about evangelistic prayer, this certainly is a great two-pronged strategy. God would open the door, and we would actually do what we are supposed to do. But he that's simply one aspect of what he wants them to be praying for. He wants them to be praying in general, and he says, devote yourselves to prayer. Uh, now, if we're looking at this idea of what he means by this, when you hear devote yourselves to prayer, what does this actually mean? Uh, what he's referring to here is that you are giving careful and consistent and constant attention to something. Um, we find some illustrations of what this means in the scripture. For example, in Acts 10, verse 7, I want to read this verse. It says, when the angel who was speaking to him had left, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were his Personal attendance. Someone who is an attendant, a helper, an assistant that is right alongside of you. Uh, In Acts 13, Simon believed and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. That is, he was with him. He was following along with him. This kind of gives you part of the idea that when you're devoted to someone, you are giving your attention to them. You are along with them and you are accompanying them. In Acts 2, 42... We find that the early church was continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, the breaking of bread and to prayer. This means this was basically their daily practice. They're doing this all the time. And in Acts 2.46, the same word is, uh, is used in this way, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple. So it's just something that you're doing all the time. You're going about it. You're giving your attention to it. You're following along with it. And so on. So devotion to prayer is the same kind of thing where you are giving yourself over to this. This is something that characterizes you. It's something that's not just every once in a while. It's something that you do. But rather it's something that's a constant practice. It has your attention and it characterizes your life. Now when Paul describes devotion to prayer, he also wants it to be done with a couple of attitudes here. Devotion to prayer will include, according to him in verse 2... Uh, First of all, alertness, alertness, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Now, of course, fundamentally, this would mean that you actually are awake as opposed to asleep. We find this in Matthew chapter 26 when Jesus says in verse 41, "...keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak." Fundamental to that, the disciples couldn't even stay awake to pray and couldn't even stay awake when Jesus was going and pouring out his heart and literally even dro- uh, sweating drops of blood in the garden. So this is a fundamental thing which is just you need to actually stay awake in prayer, but the other thing is that you are alert you're ready, and that's the picture that your eyes are open that your your head is clear. You're aware of what you need to be praying for. And you know what it's like when you go into a scary situation. When you know that there's danger around and your head is on a swivel. And you're looking around and you say, I know that I need to be aware and I need to be alert. This is uh, alertness in two senses. One, protecting against danger. We watch out against temptation. We watch out against the, the challenges that come and we are aware of those things which means that we are vigilant, which means that we are like watchmen, we are like uh, sentries who are keeping alert for those things. But also at the same time, there is a positive element of this. There's not just defense when it comes to being alert. There is also the idea of offense. You're keeping alert and you are looking for opportunities. Again, this is what Paul is talking about as an example. He prays that God will open up to us a door for the word. Elsewhere, Paul asked for prayer that he would be rescued and protected, but here he asks for positive success. Pray that we may be able to look out for and take advantage of opportunities. And a lot of times, we simply just don't see these things at all. We sometimes find, have you ever found this to be the case, that you don't really know what to pray for? You don't really have any idea, you know, what, what could I even pray for? Let me pray for my needs and, um, oh, there was a prayer request that somebody gave me, but besides that, I think I've just kind of run out of things to pray for. Oh, let me go through a list, which can be helpful, but then you just don't know really where to go from there. If we were alert in the way that's described here in Colossians 4, then I think that we would have no problem finding all kinds of things to pray for. We would see opportunities in everything. That neighbor that we're talking to that just doesn't seem to know anything about Christ we would begin to pray because we're alert to the fact that they need Jesus Christ that situation where we mistreat someone that we know we recognize that this is an opportunity to transform our character into conformity to Christ and so we pray that God would help us to to look out for that The the need that someone has that we wouldn't even notice if we are alert, if we are keeping alert, then we will be aware of that. And we'll be able to not only pray, but also to ask that it would be met and to be the means of meeting that. So we need to make sure that we are alert and that we are watching out. Too many things get in the way of this. They dull our attention. They fill our minds with other things. We're not alert because we have been figuratively speaking, drugged into a state where we simply just go through life listening to whatever is thrown at us, whatever might be coming through the TV or the computer or the phone. We simply just get involved in whatever activities are there in front of us. We go about our day just going through the motions rotely, and we don't set aside time or mental energy or effort to actually be alert in prayer. So we're not able to actually pray in the kind of way That God would have us to do. So consider the ways that you might need to remove things and replace them with certain other things in order to be alert in prayer. We need to be aware of the opportunities that God has placed before us. We need to be aware of the dangers that Satan would tempt us with, and we need to pray accordingly. So, alertness, awareness is one attitude that we need to have in our devotion to prayer. The other is, of course, found here in the second half of the verse, keeping alert in it with. An attitude of thanksgiving, and of course, literally, it is keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. When we pray, we are not simply to be moochers. And it is true that we want God to give us things that are good, and that God has said we ought to ask for things that He would, that He wants to give us. He gives us pictures. He says, if you ask for, uh, you know, if you ask for something good, your Father's not going to give you something bad, and so it is to with our God and Father. He is not going to give us something that is bad. He wants us to ask for things and he delights to give us things. And yet, it's not enough that we would simply go to God and ask for things and then move on. It wouldn't be appropriate if somebody gave you a gift. It wouldn't be appropriate if someone fulfilled your request for something and you never ever thanked them or acknowledged what they have done. And so it is too with God, we ought, when we pray, to have thanksgiving so connected with it that it ought to color and flavor all of our prayers, to give us confidence that God will act because he has acted before, to give God credit for what he has done. And so when we go to pray, we ought to come not only to just ask for things, but also to acknowledge and to give thanks to God. This is the pattern of. Paul's prayers, if you look over one page to the right, you see in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 2, we give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. These two things are coupled together. When does Paul make mention or when does Paul uh, give thanks to God? When he is making mention of them in his prayers. Even at the beginning of this book, in Colossians 1, verse 3, We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Paul went to pray. Paul went to thank God. And these two things were basically inseparable. They are not one and the same. Thanksgiving is not the sum total of prayer. But prayer without thanksgiving almost just doesn't even seem to be a concept that enters Paul's mind. When he says in 1 Thessalonians 5... That we are to pray without ceasing, he immediately follows that up and says, What? In everything, give thanks. So we ought to give thanks to God in our prayers. We ought to be devoted, we ought to be alert, ready to pray at all times, being aware of the spiritual circumstances surrounding us, looking out for needs, looking for opportunities to pray because those opportunities to pray can turn into things we ask God about and ask God for that he then grants and we can use in serving other people and serving God and we ought to be thankful for the prayers that he answers. So this is kind of how our prayer should look. This is what your attitude should be when you're thinking about how you are devoted to prayer. Now, I want to just walk through a few reasons why uh, we should be devoted to prayer that undergird this instruction. It it certainly would be enough if he simply said, devote yourselves to prayer. But the Bible is so gracious and accommodating to our weaknesses that God gives us many, many other motivations besides simply telling us what to do uh, that encourage us. To do the things that he has commanded. So I want to give you a few reasons to be devoted to prayer. And it begins with this prayer is the pattern in the New Testament. Prayer is the pattern in the New Testament. Uh, It starts with Jesus Christ in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, I'm going to read a few verses starting in verse 32. Jesus has begun to minister. Uh, everyone is seeing what he can do, these miracles that he's doing. And in, starting in Mark 1, it says, When evening came after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city had gathered at the door, and he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. This is an amazing statement, isn't it? Here is the perfect, sinless son of God. Here is one who has the mind of God because he is God Here is someone who never sinned. Here is someone who was perfectly clear on what he came to the earth to do. Knew exactly what he should be ministering to. Or who he should be ministering to. He had a plan laid out. He had a time. He knew what the future would look like with regard to these things. And he had all the capacity in the world to save people. And to serve other people in all the ways that he needed. And yet here he still thought it was important enough. To get up while it was still dark and go away on his own to pray. The pattern in the New Testament starts with our Lord Jesus who prayed with devotion. And in fact, his prayers were so notable that his disciples approached him and said in Luke chapter 11, Lord, what? Teach us. Teach us to pray. You obviously know how to do this. You obviously practice this. Teach us how to do the same thing. So what ought to motivate us from the start is that Jesus himself sought time to pray. He devoted himself to prayer, and if he gave himself to prayer as one who had no need ever to confess sins, as one who already was perfectly content, then certainly we ought also to go to God in prayer. Secondly, uh, not only is it Jesus' example, but also the church. The pattern in the New Testament is that the church prayed. Look with me in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. And you could just go all through the book of Acts and find all kinds of places where the church is praying. But let me just give you an example of this. Uh, Acts chapter 4, Peter and John had been arrested for doing the uh, horrible deed of healing this man uh, and speaking of the resurrection of Christ. But they released them. In Acts 4.23. When they had been released. They went to their own companions. And reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this. They lifted their voices to God. With one accord. This was their response. They prayed to God. This is what happened after they had been released. They didn't say. Well now we can go do what we were going to do before. Now that Peter and John have been released. You guys go start preaching. They prayed. When they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage? And the peoples devised futile things. The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. This is an amazing prayer, isn't it? A few things to note, by the way, while we're here. One is the scripture saturation. Not that we must only and exclusively quote scripture when we pray, but their prayers are informed according to the truth. They were able to pray together as a church because their prayers were driven by truth, not by personal preferences, not by personal interpretations of the world, but they were able to pray as a church. Because they could go to the scriptures and they could say, this is what is true. And the more informed they were in the Bible and how the Bible applied to life, the more they're able to bring these things to God with confidence. You note here that they don't go directly to requests. But instead they acknowledge who God is. You are the one who made these things. They acknowledge that what God has predicted comes to pass, verse 25 and 26, Psalm 2 is being carried out right before their eyes. The nations are raging against God and against his Messiah. They're recognizing that the circumstances they find themselves in are scripture being played out. And then they acknowledge God's sovereignty over all of this. In verse 28, they were all gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. They had a high view of God's providence and God's sovereignty and so they were more confident to go and pray because they knew God is involved in this. None of this affects him. None of this undermines his plan. This is perfectly within your control. And then they make their requests and once again their requests are just like what Paul asked for prayer about in Colossians 3 and 4. It is that they might preach the gospel in a certain way And that God might act in a certain way to grant favorable circumstances. Verse 29, grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. That's that we would do what we should. And then verse 30, while you extend extend your hand to heal. And signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. That you would act, God, in the world. And of course this prayer is sown to be immediately answered in a dramatic and supernatural and unusual way when they had prayed the place where they had gathered together was shaken they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness but the church prayed and this of course is not the only account of this at all we saw in chapter two that the church prayed from the very first day from the day of Pentecost they were praying together well it isn't just the church as a whole but and it isn't just the example of Jesus Christ but Uh, More specifically within the church, the church's leaders prayed. The church's leaders prayed. And this was such a priority for them that they said, we have to make sure that this doesn't become uh, encroached upon in what we have the time to do. So in Acts chapter 6, look over there in Acts 6, verses 1 through 4. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve, that is the apostles, summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Uh, Therefore, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. Now, may I note here that the apostles were not saying that serving tables is unimportant or even less important, But it was, for them, less important when they had a particular responsibility among God's people to give themselves to a particular ministry. They made sure that it happened, verse 3, because they knew how important it was. But then they said in verse 4, We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This is the responsibility of the church as a whole to pray and to devote ourselves to prayer, but it is a particular call upon the leaders of the church that they would give themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So this is an example that of all people, those who are in leadership in the church and those who seek leadership in the church ought to aspire to and ought to make sure is happening. Prayer is the pattern in the New Testament. It is example. It is given by way of example. It is laid out over and over again. But as we know, sometimes example is not the only way that we would be challenged to do something. And just because there is an example of something doesn't necessarily mean that it is something that is commanded of us. But when it comes to prayer, it is absolutely true that it's not just given as an example. It is also instructed. Prayer is instructed by Christ And his apostles. Prayer is instructed by Christ and his apostles. We read in Matthew chapter 6 verse 9. Pray then in this way. Pray then in this way. Jesus says when you pray don't be like the hypocrites. Don't go and use meaningless repetition like the Gentiles. The assumption is. When you pray, you will be praying. If you're devoted to God, if you're one of his people, you will be praying. Really the only issue then is, are you actually going to do it in a way that God is pleased with? And so he gives them instruction in the Lord's Prayer about how they ought to pray. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so on. You're familiar with this in Matthew 6, verses 9 through 15. Jesus told them... To pray and how to pray he told them in Luke 18 a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not what lose heart to not lose heart our devotion to prayer means that we don't just give ourselves to prayer when we get an immediate answer when we see right away the outcome but to pray and to continue to pray so long as it takes until God answers or until our life has ended. Prayer is instructed by Jesus, but it's also instructed by the apostles. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul says, pray without ceasing. Ephesians 6.18, Paul says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. We are instructed to pray continually. We are supposed to pray regularly. We're supposed to pray for other believers. And we are supposed to bring all kinds of prayers to God. This is instructed by Paul. Peter tells us to pray. He tells us in 1 Peter 5 to cast all our anxieties upon the Lord because he cares for us. Prayer is an instruction that's given to believers in the New Testament. And so we ought to pray because it is given as an example in the New Testament, and also because it is given as an instruction and a command in the New Testament. A third reason that we ought to pray and be devoted to prayer is that prayer gives God what he is due. Prayer gives God what he is due. It's really the place where God gets credit. We use the phrase a lot in our culture, glory to God, or God is good, or some other sort of generic uh generic expression of this but prayer is one way in which glory is directly given to God or which God is glorified as we directly ascribe to him what he is due and other people look on Now, we talked in the beginning of this series about how one of the goals of ministry, one of the purposes of ministry in the church is worship. That God would be praised in the way that he is supposed to be praised. Well, what better way to do this than in prayer? When we pray... We first of all give God glory for who he is. We saw this in Acts chapter four in that prayer. God, you are the one who did this. You are the one who made this. You are the one who acted in this way. And when we give God credit for what he has done, we are worshiping him. We read this all through the Psalms and through the words of the Old Testament, through the saints of the Old Testament, who would say over and over again, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His loving kindness endures forever. They would describe how God made everything. They would describe God's faithfulness to them and how he had rescued them out of Egypt and how he had brought them into the land of promise. They would praise God for his faithfulness to his covenant promises and so on. When we pray... This is a major outlet for glorifying God, giving God glory for who he is. And we can and should go about our lives in such a way as that God would be glorified. But ultimately, that all has to connect upward somewhere at some time. As an example of this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul talks about, excuse me, chapter 4 and verse 15 He says, for all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. You see here the connection that he makes between things that are happening on the ground, gospel truth, the gospel being spread, people believing the gospel. This then results in giving of thanks, people thanking God for their own salvation and for the salvation of others. And this giving of thanks abounds to the glory of God. This is why Hebrews 13 can say that we are to offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. Hebrews 13, verses 15 and 16. And so if worship is the goal of ministry, then we pray and give God glory for who he is. We give him thanks for all that he does. We give him thanks for saving people. This is a constant theme of of the Apostle Paul's prayers. In the New Testament, he says, in, for example, in Colossians 1, which I read earlier, verse 3, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. He hears that someone has believed the gospel, and he praises God and thanks him for what he has done, what he has done. Uh, God deserves glory for the things he's done for us, does he not? God deserves to be praised for these things. And it's one thing to simply acknowledge this and to kind of have what the world has, which is a spirit of gratitude. And this is growingly more common in our day, isn't it? People uh, will practice gratitude is the terminology They don't believe that God exists or they don't believe that there is a God who should receive credit for these things. But they say, well, it makes my life better if I practice gratitude. It makes me appreciate more and more what I have. So they see the functional benefit of this. There may be something in the idea that our lives are uh, in some way better if we are grateful rather than complaining and becoming bitter. There may be some reality in that sometimes, but we don't give thanks to God because primarily we want to practice something that's going to improve our lives. We give thanks to God because God deserves glory. God deserves praise, and we ought to stop and take time out of our day and our week simply to give him the glory that he deserves for all the things that he has done for us. Prayer gives God what he is due It glorifies his name. It gives him credit for the work that he's doing in the church. It gives him thanks for all that he has provided for us. It exalts and vindicates even his character. Tells God that he is right even if we are wrong. As David says and Paul quotes in Romans 3, let God be found true though every man be found a liar. Though as it is written that you may be just in your words and prevail when you are judged. When people go against God, he is the one who turns out to be right. And we ought to acknowledge that about him and to him. Prayer gives God what he is due. When, in one more way, by the way, he, it puts us in the proper posture before him. He is the creator and sovereign Lord, and we are not. And we can forget this. And then we start to do ministry according to the things that are going to be the most important. Uh, enjoyable for us, the things that are going to give some credit to us, the things that we would uh, think are appealing inside in the sight of the world, maybe giving us a reputation of some kind. But prayer humbles us before God because we express our utter dependence upon him. We can't do anything apart from him. This is what Jesus said in John 15, apart from me you can do nothing so we go to God and we ask him for help and we implicitly acknowledge that he is glorified and that he is worthy of praise because we cannot do this without him another reason that we should pray and be devoted to prayer is that prayer realigns our priorities prayer realigns our priorities now it's unfortunate but sometimes people seem to think that that's mostly what prayer is about We go to God kind of just to express truth to God about who He is, and this just changes the way we think. Um, This is. Uh, some kind of unbelief in God's willingness to actually respond to those prayers. And yet there is some truth in it. There is um, a lot of truth in it that when we pray, it brings us back to actually having to think carefully about what kinds of things we know. This is true whether we get there right at the beginning and we're praying things faithfully according to the Bible or whether like in many of the Psalms, we kind of have to navigate our way from I'm thinking this way, this is what I want, this is what I'm worried about, to actually then reminding ourselves in the process of prayer of what is true. And we find many examples of this, perhaps most notable, Psalm 73, where the psalmist says, I was about to run off and I was about to stumble and cause all kinds of trouble, and, uh, and I was going to blaspheme your name because I was envious of wicked people. But then I came to your sanctuary, and I started to reconsider things. And then I realized the end of people who live in this way. And then I began to praise you. This is the way that, this is the way that we uh, bring ourselves through these things when we come to God in prayer. We read the Lord's Prayer and we say, thy kingdom come. And it starts, God, bring your kingdom. Make your name be holy and regarded as sanctified. And make your will done on earth as it is in heaven. And that completely just reorients what we're all about. If we have any degree of humility before the word of God. When we come to the biblical prayers and we see that uh, Paul is praying for the spiritual growth that's here and he prays that people may fulfill all the will of God. Like this is the kind of thing that totally changes the way we think about things. And it's very easy to just not consider what God wants us to be and to do if we neglect to pray. But prayer forces us to reckon with the kinds of things that we would bring to a holy God if we're concerned about what's saying, what's appropriate before him. So it changes our priorities it realigns them to what God wants sometimes there are things that we desire or that we would take part in and if we considered would we ask God for this would we go to God and talk to him about this particular thing we may see that this is not quite in keeping with how we ought to be conducting our lives so prayer is important because it realigns our priorities. This is true in the corporate setting, in the church as well. When you come together and people are praying, these are the kinds of things that they refocus us. They help us to think about what God cares about. And we ask for things that would matter to the glory of God. So prayer helps us by realigning our priorities. And then, of course, a fifth reason to pray is that prayer affects ministry fruitfulness. Prayer affects ministry fruitfulness. Uh, It does not always bear the fruit exactly that we want. It does not always bring about that fruit when we want it, to the degree that we want it. But Scripture leaves no doubt that prayer is something that God responds to, and that prayer has a material effect overall on the whole. On our fruitfulness in ministry. We read earlier in Acts chapter 4. And we saw the response. And then we saw not only that. But also when we read chapter 6 of Acts. We saw that the church was growing in number. The church prayed. God acted. And then people began to believe the message. There was fruitfulness that came from this. So God doesn't always grant us what we ask. But he does sometimes do so. And if we want to see the work prosper, it is not enough to simply obey all the other commands in the Bible, but not to pray. It's not enough just to say, well, the word of God will do its work. Well, God can work through his word apart from our prayers. But God has seen fit to work through prayer as one part of the entire package of how we minister and how he works in the world. So... Prayer becomes vitally important when it comes not only to people believing the gospel, but also their spiritual transformation. We're here in Colossians. If you look in chapter 1, you see the kinds of things that Paul is praying for. Verse 9, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, if Paul didn't think that prayer mattered for these things, he would simply write and tell the Colossians, go do this stuff. Go do this. You need to grow in the knowledge of his will. You need to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You need to please him. You need to bear fruit. You need to be strengthened and so on. But he clearly doesn't think that that's the case. He clearly understands that his ministry effectiveness is dependent upon God working in the hearts of the people that he's ministering to. So he prays. And he also clearly understands that his ministry effectiveness is dependent upon God's work in his own heart. So he asks for prayer. And we saw this in chapter four when he said pray that I may have opportunity and that I may make the word clear. So here you have one of Christ's apostles, one of his spokesmen, clearly implying that prayer is a necessary component of ministering in the fullness of the opportunity that we have. So I just want to encourage you not to be content with what we may say is simply ministering and doing activity. Not simply meeting needs, not simply speaking the word of God, not simply helping other people, not simply encouraging them, but also praying, because this is part of the overall package, and God does use this as part of the means of bringing about gospel faith and spiritual transformation and worship in the hearts of his people. Well, let me just give you a few suggestions on some ways that you can be devoted to prayer. First of all, one way that you could but do not have to have, which is a church wide prayer meeting. Just want to acknowledge up front that this is a practice that many do. This can be a very good practice and a very helpful practice. However, it is not a biblical prescription that a church would have a specific meeting dedicated only to prayer, a church wide prayer meeting. Uh, So just want to make sure that that is off our conscience before we get into these things because we do see examples of the church as a whole praying. However, uh, that modern prescription of a prayer meeting is not in and of itself required as the way to do it. Now on the positive side of things, just a few ways to be devoted to prayer would be to, first of all, pray for others. This is simple, isn't it? But pray for others. Usually... When, we, uh, when we're not thinking biblically, or often anyway, it's very easy to just come to God with your own individual needs, your own desires, and we start there, and we may even finish there, but try to remember to pray for other people in your prayers. Pray for people in the church. Pray for people outside of the church. Keep a list if it helps. Have a way to make sure that you remember other people in prayer. Paul talks about that concept, in fact, of remembering, remembering in prayer in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. So we need to make sure that we have other people aware, uh, that we are aware of other people and that their needs are in front of us. Their physical needs and their spiritual needs. So first of all, just pray for other people. And this can be done in whatever setting you find yourself in to pray, both individually and in a group. Now, another thing would be to share your requests with others. Do you find it easier to pray for people when you know what they are asking you to pray for? Of course. Of course you do. When you don't just have to come up with something and say, you know, I want to pray for this person, but I have to kind of interpret their life and pray. It's much easier when you know what they need to pray for. And so the other way around, let people know, please pray for me. I need help with this. Please pray for this group over here that I know that I've heard about. They need help with this. Share your request with other people. And this can be the case in individuals that you talk with, individual conversations. Just bring it up. Just go ahead and say, I need to pray. Or I need help. I need you to pray for me. I'm going through this hardship. I want you to pray for me. I'm working on this spiritual, uh, this growth, uh, this element of spiritual growth. I want you to pray for me because I'm struggling with this thing. Tell other people what you need prayer for. Talk with them. But then also, share your requests with groups that you're part of. Small groups Uh, youth group, ladies group, men's group, whatever it might be, Uh, we send out a request before our members meetings and ask for prayers from prayer requests from the members of the church and say uh, let the other church members know what are you in need of prayer about. These are the kinds of things where you shouldn't say well you know they got enough to worry about. Other people probably have more important needs than I do. I'm just going to sit here quietly or I'm not going to say anything. We ought to think carefully about how we can help other people pray for us. We certainly need prayer from others. And so we should ask for it. So share your requests with other people. And make a practice of doing that with humility and regularity. Share your requests with other people. Pray for others. Share your requests. Participate in prayer with others participate in prayer with others Um, now again think about where do you practice prayer with other people and one example of that would be here in the worship service in corporate prayer now be honest with yourself when we go to pray um, how often or how quickly do you just kind of go off into (laughs) neverland zone out Maybe someone in here has done that on some occasion. There might be a possibility of that. Uh, I think this is something that is easy to struggle with. All of a sudden, we get a few quiet moments when we're not used to it, and all of the thoughts that we've never been able to think through throughout the week. Come into our minds. Well, I would encourage you to make sure that you are carefully, alertly, actively participating in corporate prayer. Engage in prayer with the people that are leading you in prayer. When someone comes up here and they're leading the church in prayer, they're not just giving you, you know, their own personal confession. They're not just telling you what they are thinking about. They are leading all of us together in prayer. And the goal is that we would all be able to join together, like in the book of Acts, when we all joined together, the church was joined together and they prayed with one accord. This is not just something that you're, you know, waiting to get through the prayer until the real thing comes of the word of God, you know, or the singing. You are engaged and you are involved in this. One person may be speaking, but they're speaking on behalf of, of all of us as we go to God together in corporate prayer. But there's also groups. When you're in a group prayer, again, pay attention to what people are praying. Don't just be ready to kind of pray what you're going to pray and not focus on what they're praying. Don't say, well, this doesn't really matter to me. Um, Work hard to stay awake if you're sleepy. And on top of this, don't be too shy to pray. Join in praying with other people. It can be intimidating when you're around other people who know theology, know the Bible, to say, what if my prayer is not as precise? What if it's not as theologically robust? That's okay. You need to pray, and you can work on that over time. But don't be too shy to pray. Be humble before God. Pray as you know according to Scripture and grow. And then finally, how can you be devoted to prayer, remember the gospel. Remember the gospel. We talked about ministry with the gospel at the center. Are people gonna believe the gospel apart from God's work in their heart? No, so we should ask him. Are uh, people who believe the gospel just, do they do so just because it so happened to land just the right way? No, they believe because God was gracious to them and opened their eyes to the truth. So we should pray and give him thanks for that. When people have believed the gospel, is it important for them to grow and to learn? Of course it is. To be conformed to Christ's image. God cares about what his people look like. So you ought to remember that the gospel has a life that is worthy to be lived upon believing it. And we ought to pray for people in light of that. Everything that we pray should be revolved around that. Don't just pray for people's physical needs, although those matter. Make sure that you remember the spiritual component of everything. And this is how you can be devoted to prayer because if you understand the gospel and its importance and the the centrality of all of that for life and how this is everything apart from the gospel, then people have no hope then this is going to make you very alert to the needs that they have for you to pray for them. So remember the gospel. I'm sure you can think of other ways to be devoted to prayer, but overall, what, what do we need to do? We need to be devoted to it, individually and as a church, and we need to be devoted to going to our God in prayer, praise, petition, thanksgiving, and all the ways that he would have for us to approach him. Let's go ahead and do that now as we close. God, we thank you that you've given us this uh, message throughout your scripture that you are approachable through Christ thank you that you've made a way for us to come to you thank you that we can talk to you and that you hear us and we ask that you would grant our prayers and in this case we pray that we might pray more faithfully you would help us to come to you in all of our needs to be alert to be thankful and to be devoted to prayer we pray in Jesus name amen